There's no mistaking that music. If you're not thinking about a zombie apocalypse right now, where have you been? I'm so excited about my guest today. He first shot to fame as Military Mad Mike in the sitcom space and then cemented his place in our hearts as Ed in Shaun of the Dead. Here to talk about his life after that thing he did, please welcome Nick Frost. Nick, hello. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Hello. You are joining me from LA, where you've been filming for the past couple of months. But what I'm curious to know is, were you able to bring your cat, Eric, with you? Oh, my God. I wish. No. Little Eric is being looked after in the house by um, Amelia, who's essentially our baby's nanny, but now she's nanny and the cat. <laughs> Did you think about bringing Eric with you? I don't know. I think about him every day. Uh, yeah, but I think it's too much of an upheaval, right? We've got a nice garden here. He'd love it. I mean, I'm, I have two cats and I'm that person whose cats have an Instagram account. So right. um, <laughs> I'd be demanding like daily FaceTime calls with my cats if I wasn't there. I mean, even we go away overnight. I My brother cat sits. I'm, you know, getting him to FaceTime me so we can see the cats and stuff. Are you, are you doing that too? Yeah, we've got like a team of people um, who are called the LAPD <laughs> who look after Eric. So if, if Amalia's not there, then... Lloyd and and Jill step in and they kind of send lots of updates but it, honestly it kind of hurts me to see him with other people <laughs> so I try not to look at pictures of him because it makes me miss him too much do you have a, a tattoo of him yet uh, <laughs> no that is my I found a nice picture that I want and so I'm just waiting for someone to who I can find who would do like a great Eddie Beeps picture even though his name is Eric, his name we actually call him Beeps. So his name he's like got he's got like Eric and then Eddie in you know those speech speech marks. Eric Eddie Beeps. Well, I look forward to seeing it. I'm sure you'll. Well, I hope you will post it on on Instagram so I can see because I, I won't lie, I enjoy looking at your cat pictures. <laughs> okay, okay, cool. Okay, so time to kick things off and head into the nostalgia zone. We'll get into Shaun of the Dead in a moment, but we have to start by mentioning Spaced first. And Mike was a character that you created, wasn't it, that got added into the show? Is that right? Yeah, Mike was a character that I did. I used to do a bunch of kind of stupid characters for Simon, and not for Simon, but just hanging out and doing voices and little sketches and stuff and, and making each other laugh and being a bit stoned and coming up with these stupid people. And Mike was one of these people who, he was a bit older originally, though. He was like in his 40s or 50s. But he was like a guy who had never quite made the army because of his back or his feet or something, or his, his eyes. And um, he just loved, like, he had a thousand different methods how you could kill a person, you know, each more ridiculous. With one finger. Yeah, and like <laughs> summoning ants and things and, you know, replacing all your blood with Tizer or something stupid like that, you know. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, he was like a massive know-it-all and stuff. And and then I, <laughs> I met these two guys. I worked with these two guys when I worked at Chiquillo's, and I won't name them. But with that character, along with these two guys, one of them had been in the army but was now in the TA and was like, when I met him, I was like, oh, my God, you're, you're just like Mike. Uh, and then another guy I met who was, even though he was like 28, he lived with his mom and he would get so hammered, like drunk and high and stuff. And then wherever he was, 
and at whatever time of morning, he'd phone his mum to come and get him at like 5 a.m., 6 a.m., 3 o'clock, and she'd just come and get him. And it was always so... Sorry, how old? How old was he? He was like 25, you know. It was always so weird to me. Uh, but he was like a nut. He was like a... He, he would show me things like he found, like he got like a dagger and stuff, or he found like some awful piece of Second World War military on the net or, you know, and there was something about him too that was a lot a lot like Mike. And so when I kind of put them together with the character I already had, it was like, this is now Mike. And it was, yeah, I mean, him and Simon and Jess got spaced and wrote space and stuff. And yeah, they just wrote him in. They wrote Mike, Mike in and said, now you've got to come and, and do it. <laughs> um, it was your first proper acting gig wasn't it I think you were still actually working as a bartender when the first series came out was it a bit of a baptism of fire for you yeah I just you know I was a really good waiter and I was funny and that's where you know I never wanted to be an actor at all I honest to god had no plan uh, of what I would do or I didn't know I didn't know what the word career was you know I, I just I just didn't know that I would have to make a choice to do something which you'd then do forever. It was just never in my vocabulary. You know, my parents never pushed a career on me. I left school early and just went and kind of bummed around. I lived in Israel for two years on and off. And I just kind of, you know, I'm very lucky. I think I'm really lucky first and foremost, but I just kind of followed my heart in terms of fell in love with a girl. She worked in a restaurant. So I went and worked in that restaurant. She left and, and I kind of flourished as a waiter and a bartender, and I bloody loved it there. I really loved it. And I was good at it, and I was funny, so I made a lot of tips and stuff. So, But I never imagined I'd ever be on the telly, you know. But what an amazing story and journey you've had, though. And, of course, there was a, a zombie episode of Space which inspired Shaun of the Dead, um, which was actually filmed up my way. I'm in, like, the Barnet Finchley area yeah yeah well that's where we were from you know where i was living was i lived in i lived in finchley you know and uh, uh and chiquitos was in cricklewood and you know that's where i used to hang out golders green around there you know the electrical shop that that simon Pegg works in is actually like yes. around the corner from my school <laughs> which is yeah, like okay. recognized in the film and it was like i said to my husband i was like there's a Woolworths opposite there have a look it's now poundland <laughs> it's all it's also in the show people just do nothing as well oh is it <laughs> yeah that's where chabuddy g works <laughs> it's obviously the uh, electrical shop of choice that everyone goes to it's big <laughs> My friend Keir was also the zombie that bit Bill Nye in the film. Oh, okay. That's great. But um, is it true that many of the zombie extras were spaced fans who were recruited from a spaced fan website? Uh, listen, I don't know, but it sounds exactly the kind of thing Edgar would do. So I'm going to say absolutely that's true. The internet may or may not be telling me the truth. I think it's true. <laughs> you're, um, I mean, you're a really big fan of horror films yeah. so it must have been a dream come true to work on a zombie movie and also you know be hugely proud that you're part of something that's brought something new to the zombie genre at the same time yeah of course listen i'm proud to i don't know i'm proud of lots of things i'm grateful too but and uh where i came from and the way i was as a person in terms of not having a plan and also meant i didn't know what genre meant 
Uh, I've only recently looked it up, you know, but I didn't realize we were adding to a genre, you know. I, I just, we, I, we liked zombie films and then we made a zombie film, you know. I didn't imagine that there would be anything more than that. It was only when we did a ton of press and people were suggesting that we were, you know, adding to a genre that I thought, <laughs> I, better, I better look up and see what this means, you know. I don't think we've ever done anything expecting a it to work or b for it to impact on people you know i think we've always just made things to make each other laugh that's always been our goal is to it's always been my goal is to make simon and edgar laugh you know when i'm working with them um you know just to be honest just to keep it honest but to think that you're you're being discussed by academics who <laughs> what academic <laughs> Film studies classes about how zombie films were the product of post nine eleven anxieties and you know all that. Kind yeah, of stuff. I mean, when really I'm, you're probably thinking like we like horror, we like zombie films just to make a zombie. Yeah, film. of course. You know that's not uh, it's not for us to. <laughs> I mean, they're discussing Edgar and Edgar's film techniques. They're not discussing me. <laughs> I happen to be a tiny part in that. You Don't sell yourself short. No, I'm just being on it. <laughs> yeah. You know. It's, you're it's, What's what's your fondest memory about making the film? I know the weather wasn't one of your fondest memories, but Um, I think, look, I mean, I was always it was always a lot of pressure for me. Making anything I do is always tremendous pressure, and and I feel I feel the stress terribly, and it affects me physically, and I'm sick a lot, and I get frightened and anxious, and I just want to do a good job, you know. I don't want to let anyone down. I don't want to let myself down. So was it fun? Absolutely, it was fun. But it was also like, what the fuck am I doing here? I don't deserve this. I don't think I want this. Am I good enough? Uh, Please, God, remember all your lines. You know, it was terrifying for me. I loved hanging out with the guys. You know, there was lots of times when it was me and Simon and our friend Morag, who's not with us anymore, sadly, who was the set nurse. And we sat in her car and, you know, watched TV on her little DVD player and smoked cigarettes and laughed. You know, it's things like that that I enjoy most. It was the crew, you know. I I think in terms of what I do, I fell in love with film crews very early on. And I, I still love them today, you know, more than probably anything else I do. I love watching the crew work and I love watching their speed and their diligence and how they talk and what they're dressed in and you know things like that stick out for me rather than scenes we did or you know I remember filming in Millwall and feeling fucking terrified (laughs) uh we were getting egged a lot when we shot in Millwall you know we had hundreds of extras and in the end we had to find local hard nuts to do our security so they could talk to local hard nuts to say can you not give us so much shit you know I mean just probably jumping ahead a little bit to what's going to be in the second half but does it has it gotten any easier for you? No, not at all. I mean, uh, I think I now am secure enough to know that I deserve to be where I am. You know, uh, I got here by working hard and putting effort in and being diligent and caring, you know, and turning up every day. And and, and uh, But in terms of, you know, I, I'm, I'm working, I'm doing dialogue now, you know, for stuff that I'm going to shoot in two weeks' time. So, uh, I'm just always frightened. I, I never want to fuck up, you know. I think it's. I think there's lots of stuff written and said about acting and how to act and what you need to do and and how it, I get it. But essentially, just know your dialogue. <laughs> That's it, you know. Did you ever 
Shay, it sounds like you were having, I mean, with, with that much stress and anxiety, was there ever a moment when you kind of thought, actually, I can't do this anymore? Or why am I still doing this? Oh, man, listen, every fucking day, every day, every night I go to bed every morning, you know, it, it's just uh, physically sick as well. And, and um, but, you know, an hour in and you're like, oh, I fucking love this. You know, when you got it, you got the dialogue and you think, God, you idiot. Come on, you know, you can, you know, you can do this. You're, you're good at this, you know, keep going. You're great. You know, and then then you're all right you just need it's just a constant fight with my subconscious in terms of your rubbish and you don't deserve to be here and keep going <laughs> you know what i mean but that's me as a person that's just not my that's not just my job that's me as a human being when i you know look in the mirror and think fucking hell you, what a, what a waste of a human you are oh don't say that oh i think there's like, a lot of people would agree that you very much deserve to be where you are you have you said you have worked hard and i know but listen i i I think a lot of people have that feeling when they look in the mirror and think fuck you know i think it's just a question of becoming slightly older and and a little bit a tiny bit wiser one last thing before we move out of the nostalgia zone um okay uh, I watched Shaun of the Dead recently with my husband again, and he agreed that if I had turned into a zombie, he would keep me in a shed. Okay, oh, that's nice. That's love. Whereas I think I'd probably let him bite me so that I could be a zombie too and just stay being a zombie together. Because <laughs> I think that's no fun. It's no fun if one of us is a zombie. That's really nice. Um, I always thought that would have been a nice ending to your zombie movie if you were zombies together holding hands. Yeah. <laughs> I always have that same feeling when I watch Ghost, where I think, why didn't Demi Moore just die in the end? They could have been in heaven together. <laughs> that would have been a better ending for me, you know? And Whoopi Goldberg could have just spoken to both of them. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. In her medium-like <laughs> setup, She would have been fine. And if so long as they had come with that, weird, that weird shiny light that comes down, then she could see them at the same time as well as talk yeah. to them. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, let's move out of the nostalgia zone now and into what I like to call the latter zone, otherwise known as life after that thing I did. Since Shaun of the Dead, of course, there was Hot Fuzz and World's End and you worked with Steven Spielberg doing Tintin, dozens of films and such varied TV work. Were you consciously picking projects that are so diverse to prove that you're more than the comedy relief that you'd been seen as before? Uh Uh-huh. I just pick things that I like to do maybe or I like or I feel interested in rather than I say no to so much. It pisses my girlfriend off and my agent so much, you know, but maybe you should judge someone by what they don't do rather than what they do. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I'm really picky and I'm really like, I would don't want to say this dialogue. (laughs) I don't want to say this shit. I don't want to be this person, you know. Um, I think as I've gotten older and, I think I've been drawn to slightly more broken, tragic characters, you know. But that's just ageing, I think. that's I kind of have a weird thing in my mind. It's called, what would Philip Seymour Hoffman do? And it's like, if someone like, if we're doing a night, a day's press and someone says, okay, so I want you to jump up and, yeah, be like a chick. It's like, mate, I'm fucking 50 years old. I'm not doing it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Ask your questions and then let's just go home. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of have the same thing in terms of what's that like working with Spielberg? It's like that's Spielberg. I wouldn't. I'd have bitten your hand off to do that show film. You know. How do you decide what to say no to then? I mean, is, have you turned down anything that you wish you hadn't? Um, let me think. Not really. I mean, I got offered a part in Star Wars and stuff. It was only a little bit, but I was like, it's really small. The pay's rubbish. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
I've got a family, you know what I mean? I don't do this for free. I like Star Wars, but it's like, I like watching it. I don't want to watch it and think, look at your ugly mug, you know what I mean? It's I'm happy just to watch that. But again, they're part of me that thinks you could have been in Star Wars, but uh, fuck it, you know what I mean? It's not, I tend to not look backwards at all. Mm. So that doesn't that that doesn't really affect me as a as a as a choice as an option I took you know because I don't look backwards I just trudge forwards into the fire <laughs> into the gunfire because <laughs> I just think well it's done I've made the decision it's like anything hypothetical I struggle with as a person you know but sometimes when we do junkets and stuff someone says okay so if if Superman and Batman decided to have a fight up in space who would win it's like mate I have fucking <laughs> I have no I don't care one bit what you're talking about right now because it's you know covid is ravaging our world (laughs) you know what i mean it's like maybe i'm too practical have you been able to enjoy the success of of your films or does it all happen so fast that you don't have time to really appreciate it um listen i really appreciate it you know i i'm again i'm really fucking lucky um to be where i am you know i'm in los angeles I've got a really beautiful house that I'm staying in for six months while I shoot this thing. I have a swimming pool. You know, we swim every day. Uh, I was going to say, like Alan Partridge, I drive an Audi A4. (laughs) Um, You know, it's like I have a nice house in London. My ex-wife has a nice house. We have a fucking great life. You know, I'm really grateful for it every single day. I don't take it for granted because we came from no money at all. And I'm fully aware that my job is such that I might, you know, a couple of years ago, I didn't work for nine months. And I think people just assume you're a fucking billionaire if you work in film and television. And it's like, I mean, I get it. I get paid great. But once that money goes... You have to live off that money. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like, I have families. I have a family. I have kids. It's, it's you know, shit is expensive. So I'm aware that as much as I've had a really good, great career, I need to keep going. I can't stop. And that is, that's, that's a, a lot of pressure mm. for a person. You know, that's a really, that's a lot of pressure. And, it, and it's floored me before, you know, in terms of thinking, well, what do I do? What do I do now? How do I find money? How do I get money now? Because I'm not going to be paid for a year. So my rent is due in six months. Now what? <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it, it's a, I can understand why people fuck up in my position or in my job where they think I'm going to be rich forever, you know, yeah. and then you don't work. And it's like, now what are you going to do? You know, do you think you're putting too much pressure on yourself though? Well, listen, I'm I'm putting a lot less pressure on myself now than I was two years ago. You know, I think there was a turning point where I just had to, it was just like, well, enough is enough. You know, you're going to be dead. You're going to die. So let's just reevaluate things and, and find a way that's helpful and healthy, mentally healthy, physically healthy. You know, I think once you realize your children would rather see you happy than you trying to make them happy. Mm. And failing, you know, that's kind of sobering in terms of, okay, that's, this is important now, you know. I think it's very mentally very tiring trying to control everything all the time, yeah. you know. I think there's a thing that's happened to me where I, I've just handed it all off and and that's not my business now. That's not my job to try and control everything. Yeah. I can only do what's, what's in front of me, you know. I think my, I've changed my way of thinking over the last two years and, and mentally I feel stronger than I ever have, you know. Obviously I'm still haunted, but I'm happier, 
I'm happy. You know, I get it. You were diagnosed with ADHD over the past year. And yeah. <laughs> my brother was also diagnosed with ADHD and high-functioning Asperger's last year. Right. He's just turned 44. Hey! So with the benefit of hindsight, does your life make more sense to you? Like my brother said that he felt a lot of relief when he got his yeah. diagnosis. He was like, well, actually, that makes sense now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Even from when I was a child, you know, thinking back to things I did and yeah, absolutely. I had exactly the same relief. I was like, oh, of course, of course, you know, and I've always, I'm also obsessive compulsive. Uh, yeah, I'm up at four every day and yeah, it's kind of tiring too. But, you know, it's, but I've also decided that I don't want to be, I tried to, I tried to take medication for it and I didn't like it. I realized that I spent 48 years controlling it myself. You know what I mean? Mm. And so to then have something in me that it felt kind of out of control. So I'm, I'm happy to live with it because I have lived with it for so long. Yeah. But it just, it just means that, every, uh, you know, other people I meet will have to just put up with the fact that sometimes I will randomly veer off and talk about menu items or, or Mount Rushmore or NASA, or, you know what I mean? But it all goes into making you you. Uh, a million percent, yes, I understand that. I know you started painting at the start of lockdown last year yeah. um, quite prolifically, yeah. and now people can buy your artwork as well. Yeah, well, they're not – I mean, I've sold out, I think, so I don't think they can buy that much. But, yeah, I mean, this is one of the sad things about coming here is I've had to leave my, my studio at home where I sit often and the cat comes and sits with me, which is wonderful. Uh, I call him my muse, which has a double <laughs> cat connotation too, which I'm thrilled with. Um, yeah, I just found a kind of, I met this woman who was an art therapist and uh, she kind of veered, veered me to it and said, why don't you give it a go? You know, when I was 19, I lived in, in the north of Israel and the kibbutz I was on had a big art, it had its own museum. And uh, the guy who was running it, who I worked for, one day gave me a bunch of acrylic paints and, and boards and stuff and bits of wood and said, you want to, you want to do some painting? And so I kind of started then, you know, when I was 19 and 20 and, you know, my dad was a, a fantastic watercolor artist, but I couldn't do what he, he did. I mean, also looking in terms of my style, mm. there's a lot of ADHD in my art, you know? Well, yeah, I noticed there's a lot of um, repeating patterns in your artwork. I yeah. don't know if that was to do with the music that you listen to while you're painting as well. Hard acid techno. Yeah. Well, I think kind of like the, the repeating pattern of the music that's then going on the canvas. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Well, because it's people, a lot of people say to me when they come in and they're like, oh, we listen to, and I kind of turn it on. They're like, oh my God, it's horrendous. But I listen to acid techno all the time, hard and fast. And now realizing that I've got ADHD, it's like I never found that music to be chaotic I, it always made sense to me to my brain I knew exactly where it was going I knew what it did and how it was doing it and and in that there's there's a relief for me you know mm. um so that's I think probably why I listened to that but I just found that I really really loved doing it and it made me feel nice and there's no wrong answer there's no fear of having to learn a five-page speech uh, and fucking it up in front of 200 people and then everyone laughs at you and then someone spits on your trailer door and <laughs> there was like none of that fear. It's just like, just make marks on this bit of paper and let it make you feel nice. Yeah. It feels kind of cool, you know, when you say it like that. Can you can you buy some canvases and some paintbrushes and do it where you are now? 
Well, I got yeah. It was my for Christmas. My wife and the kids and stuff, and, and the, uh, my baby mama got me bits and pieces. But being a practical man, it's like I, I will at some point have to ship all this shit home. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like, well, do you just want to? What do you want to do? Uh, I'm I'm conscious that I'm going home soon, so maybe just a sketchbook then. <laughs> I've got a sketchbook, so I'm drawing every night. So I've got some nice pastels that I've been working in, which I love. One thing you've done recently, which I'm glad was a part you didn't turn down, was Into the Badlands. Yeah. Which I loved. I literally think it's some of the best fight choreography I've seen in a TV show. And I grew yeah. up watching martial arts films. Thank you so much. Films. Listen, I've always been, it's, I'm sorry to cut you off, it's always been a big bone of contention of mine and a lot of the cast and crew that, we were literally just overlooked for all, you know, awards in terms of fighting and stunt choreography. It's just like, I've never seen anything like that on TV that hadn't come out of fucking Hong Kong, you know. Yeah, definitely. We got to see a hint of your fighting ability in The World's End. Yes. But you look like you were having a whale of a time on Into the Badlands. Well, I did Badlands before World's End. Oh, really? Uh, so, yeah. Um, did I? I think I did one season. I did three, three seasons. I did three seasons. I did two. So I did one, and then we did World's End, and then we, then I did the third season. Uh, so I, I already had like, um, I had my fighting skills honed, you know, and ready to rock and roll. But I, I love that show. So I love doing it. I love living in Dublin. I love the crew and the Hong Kong stunt guys. Like the main guy was a man called Master DD. His name wasn't Master, but he, he was a master. So everyone called him Master. And it's like he was only little, but everyone listened to him. It was great when he did a he did a shot, and then he'd come up and give you just a quiet pat on the back. He'd be like, "Oh, that's amazing!" <laughs> you know, that was a great kind of validation if Didi came up and just nodded or patted you on the back or something. But you know, we I love Daniel Wu. You know, he's like my best friend now, and we talk every day and we text every day. And it was just you you know I was kind of I was on my own in Dublin shooting that while everyone was back in London sadly and it was very busy and having to come back to see the kids at weekends and having one day off traveling on that day off and then you know I was very happy that I got to kind of do lots of rewrites and they they were so Alan Miles Miller who wrote and created the show was so generous with that character for me that I just I loved it I loved doing that show I saw you posted on video that, that one time you kind of like took a nunchuck to the face. Oh, my God, yeah. And any other injuries? Uh, um, no, nunchuck to the face. Let me think. I mean, you, you were always getting hurt on that show, you know, in terms of you'd get punched or you'd get kicked. or. But uh, me and certainly Daniel Wu uh, and the girls too, there was that weird thing where it was like you just go on with it, you know what I mean? And then at the end of the day, you, you know, you peeled it off and you had a big bruise or... You know, like Indiana Jones, where she says, well, where doesn't it hurt? You know, and he kind of points to his elbow. It's like, that, that's what it was like sometimes, you know. And what was always horrendous to me as, as a performer is you'd get onto set at like 8, 8.30 and you'd spend 30 minutes fighting 10 men. And then you think, oh, I've got to do this until 6 o'clock. <laughs> you know, it was kind of, t- <laughs> kind of tiring. But it was, you know, to see the way they choreographed these massive fights was, was just for someone on the outside watching, it was like, fucking hell, that's incredible. Because mm. you don't you don't learn any of it beforehand as an actor. You, they come and they work out what they're going to do, unless there's a big set piece that they need rigging and stuff for. They work it out there and then, you know, they have 30 minutes and they all have a little fight and they talk in Mandarin or, or Cantonese. And, and then they say, all right, let's show you the first 10 moves of this. And you, you learn 10 moves and you go off set and you 
hone those tents so it's quick and looks good and and then they light the shot and you shoot those 10 moves and then you learn another 10 you know yeah what was easier learning the martial arts stuff into the badlands or the salsa for keeping fury oh my god i would fuck learning martial i love doing the fighting in the martial arts you know i'm a fan of martial arts so i love doing that dancing was awful cuban fury was awful uh <laughs> how i mean i'm not being flippant about suicide but how i didn't kill myself after the first two weeks of training is is a uh, is <laughs> i just you know being a big man who's never danced salsa before having to stand in a room which is made up of mirrors trying to do a basic salsa step you know was so fucking awful and then like in my mind i could just i was replaying what i was set what, what what i was saying at the meetings to get the film green lit in terms of i want to do all my own dancing 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 i can do it i can dance salsa 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 and then me just looking at myself in the mirror just thinking why did you say those things you <laughs> idiot but did you see uh did you see bill bailey on strictly winning strictly i didn't i've been here he won strictly i'm so happy for bill good on him but yeah, I mean, Cuban Fury was really difficult. I just think, not to be sour grapes, but if, if someone for a drama role had put eight months of training to do something before they shot on any any cameras, you know, there would definitely be an awards nod mm. because it's comedy. People are like, no one cares. No one cares. Yeah. It's funny. It's weird to me that people, comedy is like the most important thing in the world, yet no one really gives a shit of how difficult it is. <laughs> totally agree. Totally agree. Um, we'll wrap up in a second, but I just have to ask, what's happening with the Captain Pugwash film? Forget it. It would never be made. It, I mean, I was excited, as anyone, that there was a chance for a, a Pugwash film. And, and it looked great and the script was good and they were going to do it all, you know, they were going to build a ship. and But it just just went away. Every now and again it comes up saying, we got the money, we financed. But it's not. You know, it was one of these things that they put your name on it to get financed. Mm. And then, you know, also that's a kind of bummer too because it gets to a point you're like, God, I can't even finance a fucking Pugwash film. But it is, I mean, I think the money was coming from the Far East. And I think being a producer now, you can look at something like Pugwash and think, you want to spend 80 million on a film for a character that no one really knows about in China. It's Realistically, it's never going to be made, which is a shame because, I mean, it really did look really beautiful. I did that could have done my Pugwash. <laughs> Which I practiced. Yeah, I mean. Final question. Are you still flushing cakes down the toilet? I haven't flushed a cake for, for a long time. I mean, I think about it a lot because I, whenever I flush a toilet, I think, could that flush a cake? You know, and I, I think I've only ever seen American toilets at their most powerful best, like in hotels and stuff. But this house I'm in, even though it's really nice, it's the toilets block quite easily. So... It's like, I don't think I could even flush a fucking muffin down these toilets. <laughs> I'd have an issue flushing a muffin down these toilets. <laughs> For anyone who hasn't seen, Nick used to flush cakes down the toilet on a, a press tour a few, quite a few years ago, but all the videos are on YouTube if yeah. you wish to watch them. <laughs> uh, yeah, just stuff that guys do when they're alone and... Uh, there was one that I saw that, I, that particularly I found the most funny was you, you kind of like cut it up and then the two converged in the hole and then got stuck. <laughs> and so you went in with a knife to oh try and like dislodge it. But then when you flushed yes. again, the bowl filled up with floating uh, brown cakeness, <laughs> which was just... Uh, oh, my God. 
yeah. brilliant to look at. Yeah. I, mean, I just showed that bit to my husband as well, and he, he almost spat his tea out. So you know, it's uh, oh good. It could maybe be a whole new YouTube series of <laughs> flushing cakes. I think there's one too where someone gave us loads of um, like hash cakes at one screening, which we took and then decided to flush a cake, and we're all just dangerously stoned. <laughs> Spare that in mind when you watch those. It was a long time ago. <laughs> Nick, it's been so lovely talking with you today. Thanks Thank again. Thank you, Genevieve. I really appreciate you. And uh, and I hope through the screen, maybe, or when you get home, give uh, give Eric a scratch under the chin from me. I can't wait. I cannot wait to get his little furry face in my hands. Huge thanks again to Nick for taking the time to speak with me. He wasn't promoting anything, but Nick's latest comedy horror TV series, Truth Seekers, as well as the brilliant Into the Badlands, are both available to watch on Amazon Prime Video. As ever, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Celebrity Catch-Up. I know there's lots of podcasts to choose from, so thank you so much for choosing this one. If you'd like to support the show, you can visit celebritycatchup.com to find out more, as well as how to get in touch if you'd like to say hello. And you can even leave me a voicemail message. Just hit the microphone button at the bottom of the page. And why not share this podcast with a friend or on social media so that others can enjoy a bit of nostalgia too. Until next time, thanks for listening.